morning, everybody. Would you stand with us this morning, please, as we worship the Lord? Starting out with better is one day, and one day it is going to be better. Amen. How lovely is your dwelling place, oh Lord Almighty, for my soul. He's worthy to be praised. 
And if you're glad to be here today, let me hear it. Amen. Amen. God is good, isn't he? And as we continue singing, he is awesome and he is great. So let's let the Lord know how much we're glad to be praising his name this morning.
is great, and God is good, and he is the one that deserves all of our praises. Turned into wine Open the eyes of the blind There's no one like you None like you Into the darkness you shine Out of the ashes we rise There's no one like you Our God is greater, our God is stronger, God you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, our God. Into the darkness you shine. Out of the ashes we rise, there's no one like you, none like you. Our God is greater, our God is stronger, God you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome and power, our God, our God. Then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then who could stand against? You are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God. Our God is greater, our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power. Our God, our God. 
Let's pray this morning, but God is worthy. God, we thank you so much for being with us today, for allowing us the opportunity to lift your name on high, for allowing us to call you awesome and to call you great and healer and powerful. And God, we just adore you this morning. I am so in awe that you even, even want to spend time with us, Lord, the God of the universe. You are worthy, Lord Jesus, of all of our praise because of what you did on the cross for each one of us. And God, we just want to lift your name on high this morning. And we want to praise you. And we want to adore you. For you are worthy. And you are love. And you are our king. The great I am. Amen. You can be seated, please, as we continue. This is a song of adoration. We've sung it several times. And I want you to sing it with all that you are and allow God to meet you right where you're at. Because he is worthy.
house. If you're happy to be here, say amen. amen. Okay, you got it down. Please reach in the book rack right there in front of you somewhere and see if you can find one of our little black folders. And when you find that, if you'll be so kind to put your name on that, give it to a person somewhere near you so that they can also put their name on it. Uh, we'll appreciate that a lot today. In just a little over one month, we're going to be in America making a, an incredible decision on who's going to lead our country. And uh, we're praying in our church for divine intervention. And uh, I put together this prayer list to put in your Sunday courier, and I want you to keep this on you. I want you to think about these things and pray about these things because God can change the course of our country. He can bring this country back in line so that he can once again shower America with his blessing. That's what we're praying for. And so uh, on Wednesday night, I'm talking to people about fasting right now. That's my topic. How do, what is fasting all about? How do you do it? Uh, what impact does it have on you? What impact does it have on others? And of course, it's right in conjunction with our election. And so I'm asking people, listen, just fast once a day, or excuse me, once a week uh, between now and the election. Choose one day to fast per week. Now, not everybody can do that because some people are physically unable. But if you're physically able, 
Uh, choose a day, and then all day long you think about this list, what, what the items are on this list, and ask God to intervene in America. If you know somebody who's not, some good conservative that's not registered to vote, most of them are registered, uh, please get them registered. We have registration forms in the foyer. Uh, and the deadline is October 9th. If you don't get registered, you can't vote. And you know, voting is one of the great privileges we have in America. And so many people have died uh, so that we can have the privilege of voting. So uh, if you know somebody that on the borderline, I know that there are some few people that are not registered. If they're conservative, register them, please, okay? And then we're going to pray that God will intervene. Don't put too much stock in the polls because a lot of those are slanted to discourage, uh, to discourage people. Uh, the, the most important poll is what happens on the last day. And so we're going to pray uh, to the Lord to rescue America. And I know that you're interested in doing just that. Let's stand together as our ushers come this morning. We'll receive our morning offering together. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your love and we know there are so many parts of our country that are so financially devastated right now. But Lord, in, in your providence, you, you have seen fit to, uh, for most of the people in our church to have a job. Uh, to have an income. And now we come, Lord, to honor you, to say thank you, uh, to give back a portion of our income for your work. We pray that as we give our tithes and our offerings this morning, that you'll bless each gift and each giver. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Has promised. 
today please to the book of Genesis chapter 12 Genesis chapter 12 uh, we have a yes last week we had missionaries today we have missionaries with us too uh, Ryan and Sarah Johnson are here today they're sitting right down here in the front and it wouldn't be appropriate if we didn't have you stand up at least and turn around and face the congregation. They are missionaries to England. Okay. Uh, and uh, they happen to live in Miami. That's the place we all want to live in the winter, right? Miami, Florida. You were raised down there, right? Uh, that's, that's not fair, is it? So after the service, uh, you you meet uh, the Johnsons, and uh, they're on deputation. You know what that is. Uh, they're trying to raise enough money to eventually get to England as full-time missionaries. And uh, America needs missionaries. England needs them too. So we uh, we want to help them in some way. So you meet them after the service. In uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse number 7, we're going to begin today. And I'd like to talk to you about the ups and downs of the life of faith. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. You know, right now we're watching in the news uh, this 
tremendous struggle over the land of Israel, over that little piece of property. There are people everywhere in our world that say, listen, that piece of land doesn't belong to Israel, but here the Bible says, I'm giving you this land. I will give this land, and there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent. Now, for those of you who like to underline things and scribble in your Bible, I love to do that. Uh, underline the word altar and the word tent uh, because they are emblematic of a life of faith. They really are. He moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, and there he built an altar. It's amazing how many times the word altar is used here now in the life of Abraham. Abraham is really connected with God. And he's building altars, and, and there he called upon the name of the Lord. This, I understand, is the first mention in the Bible of uh, a place of worship in the Holy Land. If you were to go to the Holy Land today, you would want to go, of course, uh, to the Garden Tomb. You would want to go to Calvary. But you'd also want to go to the Western Wall, because that's where the masses of people go flock there to pray. Well, before there was such a thing as a Western Wall, and before there was such a thing as Calvary and the empty tomb, there was Abraham charting a course down through generations that you and I are connected to today. We are the people of faith. We are the descendants of Father Abraham. He was known as the father of the faithful, the friend of God, and we are connected spiritually all the way back to Abraham. He called on the name of the Lord, so Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. And there was a famine in the land, and there always is. Abraham went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. Abraham thought he was doing the right thing, but he was doing the wrong thing. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarah, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman beautiful, with a beautiful countenance. Sarah was about 65 years of age right now, very well preserved. And the Bible says here that she was beautiful. And so Abraham concocted this story. And he said, listen, when we go down to Egypt... They're going to like you down there, and they're going to find out that I'm your husband, and they're going to kill me and take you. And so let's tell them that I'm your brother, and that way they'll treat me well, and, uh, and we'll get through this uh, alive, hopefully. And so that was the story that he concocted with his wife, and uh, he, went, he went down. And... Uh, the Lord protected somehow Sarah in that scenario. Look at verse 17. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his household with great plagues. You know, God is really good at plagues. You know that? When you read the Old Testament, he's, he's, he's right on. He can do that. And so uh, Pharaoh started adding this up, plague after plague after plague. And boy, he, he figured it out fast. Listen, there's something not right here about... Uh, Abraham and Sarah. 
and uh, he found out the truth. Uh, Sarah is not his sister, it's his wife. And uh, he says, listen, I don't want any more of the plagues of God, you have to leave. And so Abraham and Sarah and Lot and, uh, left Egypt and headed back to the Holy Land. And we pick up the story. You know, the Christian life is an up and down experience. It really is. I wish it, were, I wish it wasn't, but it is. I know that every single person sitting here today has probably said, well, I just wish that when I accepted the Lord that it was like full blast, full steam ahead, straight up, all the way through life into heaven. But it's, it's not like that. It's kind of like this, isn't it? It's kind of like a roller coaster. Sometimes you feel so close to the Lord and you're so excited about the things of the Lord and other times you feel like, hey, what's wrong with me? Uh... I feel just the opposite. Well, you know, God is beginning something here in Abraham that, that you and I are still connected to today. We are the people of faith. Abraham, though, is a picture of the possibility of living a life of faith all the way until the end. You know, whenever we accept the Lord as our Savior, we just think, man, isn't this great? And then sometimes we hit a wall and we think, hey, this is really hard. Uh, I didn't know I was in store for this. Well, Abraham is like a picture of your life and mine. Where did God find him? He found him in a place called Ur. You are. Do we have that picture there, Cindy? There it is. Down here on the right in Iraq, you are. There's a man in our church who comes on to the Saturday night service, and when he was leaving last night, he said to me, My son was just in Ur in the Marines and he saw the sign that said Ur and he says I've seen that in the Bible this is where God reached down into the life and family of Abraham uh, the scripture says in Joshua 24 that Abraham and his family were idolaters and God called him and Abraham responded and headed out and went north to Haran and stopped there for a while uh, kind of like a picture of our incomplete obedience when God calls us. And then he finally finished the journey and he got down here to Shechem. But things then got tired, or, or hard, and then he decided, listen, I've got to go to Egypt. And whenever somebody makes that decision, things always get worse. Because Egypt is a picture of the world. And, you know, we look at Abraham and we say, boy, you know, when God called me, I wasn't in as bad shape as Abraham. But, you know, in, in all of our different ways, we are idolaters too. We really are. Idolatry is anything that you put before your devotion and love for God. And I'm sure that many of you can know people who make their job their idols, right? It is their idol. That's where they spend their time. That's, that's where they bow down. Uh, they make their hobbies their idols, things of that nature. You know, we, we think, I hey, listen, I'm not an idolater, but uh, all of us have a tendency to bow down to something uh, before we completely bow down to the Lord, and that's where Abraham was. Hebrews 11, 9 and 10 says, By faith he dwelled in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob and heirs with him of the same promise. It's amazing that God says, listen, this promises to you and to your descendants. And you know what that means? 
That means that the decisions that you and I make are for our descendants as well. It's amazing how much impact the decision we make has upon our children and their children. What a wonderful thing it is for children to say, hey, listen, my mom and dad were committed Christians. They followed the Lord as, they weren't perfect. They followed the Lord, and uh, their mother and dad before them were committed Christians. And what an impact that has as the chain of dysfunction and the chain of addiction and the chain of all sorts of things is broken by somebody that says, listen, when I make a decision, I know that this decision is for more than me. It's for my descendants, too. Now, Abraham's faith grows. You know, he made this long journey um, to the Holy Land, and God is trying to build his faith. But he is becoming increasingly, uh, as you draw closer to the Lord, you draw further away from the world. And people become increasingly... Uh, strange to the world as you draw closer to God but it builds your faith you know there's something about roughing it that makes people strong and Abraham here was leading what we call a pilgrim life he was a pilgrim the symbol of his life was a tent not very permanent only a temporary structure uh, tents are homes of people just passing through not putting down permanent roots you know, if you try to put down permanent roots, it won't work as a Christian. It just won't work. But if you view your life like this, listen, I'm just temporary. I'm just moving through. Uh, this tent's going to come down one of these days. Uh, I'm not here to build a monument to me. I am on planet Earth to bring honor and glory to my God. That's my job. That's my aim. Uh, we're to live like tent dwellers and pilgrims. That's Hebrews 11:13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed them, that they were strangers and pilgrims. You know, a pilgrim is somebody that knows where they're going. They're not wanderers. They're not drifters. They know exactly where they're going. And Abraham was like that. Uh, he knew where he was going. And you know what he was looking for? He was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. And so what that meant is that his life was just not all for now. That's so good. You know that? Because, you know, we have lots of people in our church, in, immediately in our church and through the tentacles of our church, that are passing out of this life. And the impact that other people made on them makes a difference when that happens. You know that? And when somebody passes away in our church or one of their friends pass away, the first thought that always comes to my mind is this. This is why we do this work. We are trying to prepare people for the reality of the future. Don't tie yourself too strongly to this world. We are only pilgrims here. The symbol of his life was a tent, but the secret of his spiritual life was the altar, and so it is with you and me. This is what's going to get you through the rest of your life as a Christian. 
what you bow down to. Will it be your hobbies? Will it be your job? Will it be your fantasy? Will it be your goal for the American dream? Or will it be God? This I call the dependent life. You know, a person can accomplish the American dream by just kind of saying, listen, I can go for it. I can get it. But to, to walk in the presence of the Lord is something different. It's completely different. It's humbling ourselves in the sight of God. It's kneeling down at an altar. Uh, James 4.10 is capsulizes that truth. Let's read it. When you bow down before the Lord and admit your dependence on him, he will lift you up and give you honor. Now let's say, for instance, you have, a, you have the altar and you bow down before the Lord and you say, Lord, this life's not about me. It's about you. I'm dependent upon you for my sustenance. I'm dependent upon you for my everyday life and then for eternity. It's all on you, Lord. Now that's a good position. Because the Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will do what? He will lift you up. Right. Well, I, uh, I've told you before, um, I'm trying to make up for a lot in my life that I didn't do right spiritually, even though I was a pastor. You know, I think there was a time in my pastoral life that I was a lot more in love with the ministry than I was the Lord of the ministry. And I just love to do the ministry. And, but in recent years, I, I, I'm saying to myself, you know, I just really need to give God a whole lot more attention in my life. Because, you know, as a pastor, you can like run in circles all the time, visiting, marrying and burying and preaching and teaching and counseling. You can just do all that and keep yourself occupied. And so a number of years back, I said, listen, you know, I just have to start seeking the Lord a whole lot better in my life because... I just need to try to start making up for some things. And so uh, I came up with a little routine. I seek the Lord in the morning. And I have a cell phone, and my wife will attest to this. It's, it's, it's attached to my hip. It'll have to be surgically removed one of these days. I, and on my cell phone, I have, a, I, I have an alarm, and I set it at 2 o'clock and 8 o'clock. And that's my time to recognize God in my life. So uh, if you're around me at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and you hear this weird buzzer, bzzz, you'll know that's what it is. My alarm to recognize God in my life has gone off. And so somehow I've got to recognize God. And I don't, I don't stop the world. If I'm busy doing something, I kind of remember and I do it a little bit later. And then at 8 o'clock at night it happens again and that, that alarm goes off and it reminds me. Listen, life is more than me. Life is more than what I want. Life is more than my goals. It's about God Almighty in my life. And so I was out and about here a few weeks ago, and, and I was talking to somebody, and they were sharing with me their problems, and then at that particular time, that buzzer went off. It's the weirdest sound you've ever heard. And, and so this person said, what's that? I said, that's my prayer alarm. I, it's time for me to recognize God in my life. It had a big impact. It has a, listen, let me, it has a big impact on my life every day. Because I realize then that, listen, you know, I'm speeding through life as fast as I can go. 
But when I stop and I think about the altar, that's, what I, that's where my mind needs to be. Because that's the secret of the life of faith. It really is. You know, a lot of times people say, you know, I accepted the Lord when I was a kid. I went to the altar. I accepted Christ. But boy, there's not much substance to my life. That's the reason why. Because we're trying to live off of last year's decision and last year's faith. You can't do it. Well, he, uh, he built this altar uh, to the Lord. You know, Christians have an altar too. And I think Jesus suggested this whenever he was teaching people how to pray in Matthew chapter 6. He said, listen, he said, when you pray, I want you to go in the room and shut the what? The door, right? And we have that. Shut the door. Uh, there needs to be a place, an altar, a permanent altar in our life like this. A place where your kids and your wife or your husband knows you go to pray. And when you go in there, I mean, it's off limits. That's what you do in that room. Um, Jesus said, shut the door and pray to me in secret. Uh, and, uh, and so we have that, but you know, there, we have portable altars too in our, our life. And we can pray to God anytime, any place, uh, and we call that the throne of grace, standing in the presence of God. Hebrews 4.16 says this, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now all of us need a lot of help, don't we? We need a lot of mercy. And so, uh, and so we have a portable altar, too. And at this altar, we do something similar than that Abraham did at his altar. When we come together, we first of all recognize the sacrifice that Jesus made for us upon the cross. Now, that humbles us. That humbles us. Uh, and then we present our bodies as living sacrifices. We don't offer any animals on that altar. We offer, listen, we offer ourselves on that altar, Lord. I want to be a sacrifice for you. I want to burn out my life for you, Lord. I want to be a fiery ember that burns wherever I go with the presence of God in my life. We offer our life uh, as a living sacrifice. And then, on top of that, we offer him sacrifices of praise. Hebrews 13, 15. Let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Now that's the altar experience. You know, God is in the business of growing Abraham into a person of great faith. And, and I think that's what God wants to do for you and for me. God wants to build your life into a person of great faith. And he does that gradually. Someone said one time, faith is not a mushroom that grows overnight in damp soil. It's an oak tree that grows for a thousand years under the blast of wind and rain. Donald Gray Barnhouse mentioned that. And so... Uh, Abraham was doing pretty good and his life was going uphill. But remember this, the journey of faith is, is like this. I wish, I, I wish it wasn't. And, and everybody in this room today is somewhere in that cycle, spiritually. Some of you are 
at the top. Uh, you just came back from the women's re thing downtown Pittsburgh. <laughs> You're on top right now. And some of you guys just came back from the men's retreat, and I thought you were going to, like, tackle the world. Big Steve. He's already doing it. Uh, and, and, so, and so a lot of people are up there, but there are people in our church right now. You're not up there. You, you used to be, but you're not now. And so what happens is our faith falters, and that's what happened to Abraham. In the crucible of trouble, Abraham backslides. Let's call it what it is, okay? Backsliding. Backsliding is when you what? <laughs> yeah, right. You backslide. <laughs> that means that uh, you're no longer going forward. You're going in reverse. That's an awful experience for a Christian. It's an awful experience. Even though you're, you're caught up in that, that routine, you don't like it. And so what he does is he starts to walk by sight rather than by faith. And you know, every trouble that comes into our life is a test from God. God's not trying to break us. He's trying to strengthen us. And uh, we find here that whenever famine came, he didn't go to the altar. He didn't ask God, what should I do? He just instinctively did what he thought he should do. And the Bible says, there is a way that seems right to man. But the end thereof are the ways of what? Death. You know, we go our own way. It's like disaster. You know, that it really is. We have this, this ability to make wrong decisions. And so that's what he did. He said, okay, there's no, there's no food up here. I'm going down to Egypt. This is the first mention of Egypt in the Bible. And he sought relief in the world. And for those of you who have studied the scriptures, you know, that Egypt is a type of the world. It's a type uh, that it's, it's where we don't want to go. Abraham trusted God for far-off promises. That thousand-mile journey from Ur to Haran to Shechem, he trusted God for that, but he had trouble with the right-now promises of God. And I find that true in my life and I think in your life too. You know, when, when we are presented with the salvation message, receive Jesus Christ, have your sins forgiven, your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, go to heaven when you die, what do we do? Count me in. You know, I want that. That's a long-range decision, isn't it? That's a mega decision. But then what happens is we have to make these little incremental decisions, walking by faith each day, and God says, listen, you do this, and you do this, and we say, oh, I can't trust you for that, Lord. I've trusted you for the big one. And that's what, that's what Abraham was doing right here. He trusted God for this long journey, but he couldn't trust him to feed him in the Canaan land. And so this is how the whole thing works. He makes a bad decision outside of the will of God. Okay? He makes a bad decision and you know when you make one bad decision, it's so easy to make another one. You know that? There's always a good reason to do something wrong. And this situation spirals out of control. And Sarah is kind of a victim, one of the victims in this whole thing. Because, listen, when you make a bad decision, the impact travels everywhere. It affects everybody. It hurts a lot of people. You know that. And so Sarah 
was noted for her beauty. She was 65 years old, as I said before. She used oil of delay since she was a teenager. She was well-preserved, 65. Actually, she was middle-aged because she died when she was 127. So she was... But Pharaoh was used to getting what he wanted. And so uh, he proceeded to do that. But somehow God protected Sarah. And, uh, and the whole thing spiraled out of control. Listen, listen to this, please. Because Abraham didn't go to his altar and confer with God. All of this is bad. And so this thing spiraled out of control. And he was rebuked by Pharaoh. And actually kicked out of Egypt. Get out of here. God is judging me. Why did you do this? Now the, the New Testament counterpart of this is this statement. You know, when a Christian backslides and the world discovers it, they say this statement, and you are supposed to be a what? Christian, right? You mess up and somebody will get right in your face and say, hey, listen, and you're supposed to be a Christian. That's exactly what happened to Abraham down here. Pharaoh said, listen, what's this all about? You told me you served the God, Jehovah, the creator God, and you did this. You put my life in jeopardy. You put your wife's future in jeopardy. The result of backsliding. He was humiliated in front of the world. Uh, what does a person do, though, when this happens? It happens to you and it happens to me. We make a bad decision. The world looks at us and says, I thought more of you than that. Now, that hurts, you know that? You know, it takes a long time to build a testimony. You know what a testimony is? That's your spiritual reputation. It takes a long time. Because when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, people are skeptical of you. Do you know that? And you know what they say, oh, it'll wear off. <laughs> They're just kind of like on a Jesus high right now. You know, they'll come back to our world. They're skeptical. But after a while, when you show to them, that, hey, listen, this decision is really real. Christ has changed my life. Then they expect you to live up to your profession. They expect you to live there. But when you don't, you're humiliated in their presence. And, and what happened here in, in our story this morning is a spiritual fiasco for Abraham. Abraham was supposed to be the light in the world... But his bad decision put his light out. You know, when you and I revert to Egypt, it, it makes our head hang down. And uh, we do things that are not spiritually correct. And we beat ourselves up and we say, listen, I shouldn't have done that. Look at the mess I've made. And sometimes we don't know what to do. We think we're spiritual failures. Have you ever been there? If you have, raise your hand. Put your hand up. There's few honest souls. <laughs> yeah, Spiritual failures. Well, you know, uh, we could do that. And the devil loves us to feel that way. Because if we feel like we're spiritual failures, we, we lose the power to live the Christian life, don't we? We just feel we're not worth anything. We've let God down. We've let everybody else down. Abraham does the right thing. Now, remember this. 
Abraham in Egypt is way down here. And so he's humiliated by Pharaoh, and he says he makes a decision. And the decision is this, I will go back to God. And that's exactly what he did. Uh, you don't hear of any mention of God in Egypt, in Abraham's life, no worship. He said, in effect, I'll start over. And you know, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And I know a lot of times people say, you know, I've said that so many times, I think I'm, I'm, I've worn God out on this thing. I'll start over. But you know, our God is so loving and so merciful that he doesn't hold that against us. I'll start over. And he's willing to take the prodigal back. And so he went back to a place called Bethel. That's where he started. But you know, whenever you backslide and you fall out of the will of the Lord, there's always a price to pay. There's always a price you have to pay. The price he paid was this. He lost a whole lot of good time that he could have been growing spiritually. And he could have made an impact for the Lord. He lost that time. You know, time is the most valuable thing you have. You can't buy it. It's not for sale. If you waste it, you've lost it. Uh, and so whenever you backslide, you waste your time. Actually, you waste God's time because it's a gift. He gave it to you. So he lost a lot of time. He lost his reputation. Uh, and uh, he led others into sin. He led Sarah into sin. He led Lot into sin. And so here he comes. He's coming back to God. But you know, when you come back to God, you have baggage from your backsliding experience. And you're sitting there and saying, Oh, Pastor, you're reading my mind. <laughs> Listen, we all fit into this category. There's not a single person in this church that doesn't fit into what I'm talking about this morning. All of us. And so we, we bring back baggage from our departure. Hagar, he got her down in Egypt. We'll talk about her later. Uh, you know what else he brought back? He brought, brought back riches, more riches. He, he was pretty rich when he went down. He was more rich when he came back. And the Bible says um, in 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so he came back uh, more rich than when he left. And what happened is when he came back to Bethel, there was this fighting between Lot's, uh, the things that Lot had and the things that Abraham had, and there was strife between Lot and Abraham. And so Abraham did something good. He said this. He said, you just go to the left hand or you go to the right hand. Uh, you just choose the land you want, and I'll, I'll defer to your wishes. Abraham could have said, listen, I want that land. It's the best land. But he said, listen, you just choose what you want and I'll take what's left. And here's the reason why his mind, Abraham's mind was not on the things of the world. I'll take what's left. And so Lot looked towards Sodom uh, to the good of the land. And he started to walk by sight. And where did he learn that? He learned it from Abraham. When Abraham went down to Egypt, he was walking by sight rather than faith. 
And so he turned his eyes towards Sodom, and you know, he liked that. And, I, and the reason why is because it looked like Egypt to him. And when Abraham had Lot down in Egypt, something happened to Lot that never was repaired in Lot's life. Lot discovered Egypt, a taste of the world. A taste of the world. He never got rid of that. And so here's, here's the interesting thing about this whole story. Abraham came back to God and was restored, his fellowship with God. But Lot wasn't. Lot paid the price of Abraham's backsliding. And that's what happens in your life and my life. When you drift away from the Lord, sometimes you can come back and you're like stronger than ever. That's, that was Abraham. He was stronger than ever, but Lot was demoralized. Lot was destroyed spiritually. And so he came back with Hagar. He came back with riches. He came back with Lot. Uh, but you know what? And I know you've read this in Second Peter chapter 2. Uh, Lot was a righteous person. He did have faith in God, but he had no spiritual growth. Second Peter 2, 7 and 8 says, But at that same time God rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a good man who was sick of all the immorality and wickedness around him. Yes, he was a righteous man who was distressed by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. You know, Lot didn't have the spiritual strength to stand up and take a stand. He went with the crowd, but in his heart he was grieved because in his heart he did love God, but he didn't have the strength to stand up and be the person that God wanted him to be. He was injured, listen to this, he was injured by Abraham's backsliding. He was a victim. So always remember this. Whenever you decide to depart and do it your way, chances are you're going to take some other people with you. And you may come back, but maybe they won't. And that's a heavy burden. And, uh, and so Lot was trapped because of the, the lack of spiritual growth in his own life. I want to encourage you, hey, listen, Maybe you're here today and maybe you're kicking yourself and you're saying, hey, listen, I'm, I used to be here and I'm, I'm down here. I'm disgusted with myself. Listen, please, don't stay down there because God can bring you back stronger than ever before and he will give you the grace to deal with the aftermath, okay, of your bad decision. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed this morning and our eyes closed together, I wonder how many people in our church today could say, Pastor, you just painted the picture of my life. Well, you know, it's a picture of all of our lives, really, because none of us are beyond this up and down experience, you know. But we just have to come back. And that's my appeal to you today in the church. Just come back. Start again. You know, if you've been kicking yourself around, listen, that's not helping anybody. Uh, you know, just come back.
come back to the altar and say, listen, but I'm going home today and I'm going to, I'm going to make a sign and I'm going to put it on that door prayer room and that's the way it's going to be around my house. I, I'm going to seek God. Uh, and then I'm going to acknowledge God in my life throughout the day. I'm not, I'm not living on this roller coaster anymore. Maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior yet. You're a seeker. You're, you're looking for God. Well, you can find Christ too today by faith. Just reach out to him there as you sit in your seat and say, Lord, uh, forgive me of my sin. Save me. Uh, embrace the claims of Jesus Christ for your life today. Just be honest with God and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, and save my soul today. Lord, I want to walk by faith in this world. I realize you died upon the cross for my sins. I'm ready, Lord. I want to be your disciple. Dear Lord, we uh, come into your presence now. We uh, sense your spirit in the church today, and we pray now that as you move among us, that you will draw us, Lord, to decisions that we will be glad we've made in eternity. And Lord, for that person especially that's down in Egypt, trying to find their way as a result of some bad decisions, I pray that they may flee and run back to the altar. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing our invitation song today. And as we sing our song, if you need to come today and kneel and pray to the Lord about something going on in your life or the life of a friend, feel free to do that as we sing. We fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus, the greatness of mercy and love at the feet of Jesus, and we
Lord's people said, Amen. Amen. Turn around and shake hands with as many people as you can today in the church. God bless you. You're dismissed.